I think, you know, one of the interesting things about, you know, Toscano and, and, you know, when we were talking about, uh, you know, what, what exactly do you guys think you do well and how much opportunity there is within kind of the commercial space and, and, you know, I was like, Hey, what do you guys really do well? And he's like, well, you know, professional liability, you know, professional lines and stuff. And, and people, they, they rarely are honest enough and take that seriously. And, and is there kind of a reason that you guys found your way to that corner or. I'd say a couple of things. We, we try and stay sensitive and aware to what our customers need. There's a number of classes of business that we probably didn't intentionally uh, head toward and our customers made it clear that they had a need and needed help. And so some, some things have sort of blossomed. Um, that's part of the scenario on professional. Our customers have a need. Many of them don't deal with professional liability or related classes on a regular basis. So they're looking for help. Um, and I think another thing that's that's helped us a little bit um, is my background for many years prior to coming to Toscano included a lot of professional liability classes and relationships with carriers. So I'm not going to say it's second nature to me, um, but certainly I feel comfortable in that area, those coverage areas, and um, enjoy it and just have a lot of experience with it. So I've been able to talk with our customers about it, talk with our team about it. And we've got other people on the team that that obviously have been doing it for a while as well. So um, all of those reasons, I think, kind of lead us or led us into that direction. And so you brought, so what is that background, like professional liability? What, what have you kind of experienced uh, over, over that kind of the course of your career in, in the insurance space uh, to kind of grow an affinity for it? Well, um, you know, my background took me into probably for about 12 or 13 years prior to, to uh, coming here, I was involved with, uh, with a wholesaler MGU in Florida and we actually had the pen for a national company and we're an exclusive rep for them in Florida for lawyers. So uh, we, and we also had an accountants program for many years. And so I, I got comfortable with and familiar with the program side of things and what needs to happen there. And, you know, our facility happened to write a lot of other lines of professional liability business. That's the majority of what we did. So I was able to kind of get in touch with a lot of carriers that uh, had great information, great resources, and just sort of see what's going on in the marketplace. And I would say in general, if we're talking about the market, um, it's very similar to the rest of the casualty market in that there are a ton of carriers, uh, capacity is at an all-time high, and there are very few rocks that haven't been turned over at this point. Um you know, years and years ago, there were a select number of companies that would write employment practices liability, and they dipped their toe in the water and started the process. Um, nowadays, I don't know the carrier that doesn't have some kind of an option for EPL. Um, cyber is something similar; it's still evolving. But you know, a few years ago, there were a few companies that understood it and did it well. Now, most companies have an option uh, available. So, I, I would say in the marketplace. Uh, professional liability for the most play uh, for the most part with a few exceptions a few niches is a pretty soft very competitive marketplace yeah that's interesting so you're saying we kind of know what we know i uh, just get really good at the things that we know so far uh, that that's that, that's kind of available and cyber i think i i would agree is one of those uh, i don't want to say final frontiers but it is one that is maybe maturing a little bit people are starting to kind of wake up to it 
I hope um, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, and it's, it's so let's put it this way. It's something that is every day we move forward. It's only going to become more and more important. Correct. Uh, you know, so it's not like it's going away. And I would say I don't have, I didn't, I didn't run like a survey or get like any sort of polls before this, but I would say there's, there's, there's a number probably somewhere above 50% of agents that are probably a little fuzzy on it, which I don't know how that, how you feel about that, but that that's probably not good. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the number. I saw numbers years ago. Um, I believe the big eye did a study and tried to understand, you know, what was going on in some, some classes of business. I think cyber or data breach was on that list. Um, I get it from the retailer standpoint um, and empathize with with our customers. We we have some really great relationships with customers. We just did an advisory council meeting and had a lot of input from some uh, customers, uh, and and we're just constantly getting input and feedback from them and from our carriers and of course some of our competitors. Uh, retail agents have it tough these days. They're getting it from all sides, and I understand that if you are presenting. Uh, a package quote, or maybe you've got to provide separate, you know, coverage for GL and property. Maybe there's some inland marine involved. If you write their personal lines business, you've got home and auto and who knows what else. So you, you could be presenting them with, you know, with bills or invoices for three, five, seven different coverages. And the last thing that I think I would want to do as a retail agent is think, uh, yeah, I need to talk to you about two more. Uh, I, I totally get that. But on the flip side, I don't think a, a retail agent would look at an insured's operation with a pretty significant property exposure a, as a business, especially, and let the insured say, I don't think I need property coverage. I, I think they'd be pretty adamant about the fact that you, your business can't withstand you know, a total loss on this building that you own. And I think that's the problem that the connection's not really being made. And it doesn't take a total loss uh, on a cyber loss or even an EPL loss. If somebody, a small business is going to have to pay $100,000 or $200,000 out of their pocket, um, a lot of businesses can't withstand that. And if they do, it's just a huge setback. So I understand the concerns about yet another coverage. And my guy or gal hasn't had to deal with this in the past. So, you know, it's not that big a deal. But, um, I mean, I've got some examples of situations that are happening in the market, uh, but I agree with your statement in general. It's only going to get more significant as time goes by because our reliance on technology, obviously, is greater and greater every day. Well, and the thing that, you know, one of the things that I take, like, pretty serious and the, I'm very sensitive to and and is the the fact that it seems like everybody is always pushing their agenda for, like you said, the retail agent or something in it. And it constantly has them going in 15 different directions. Sure. And that's frustrating, you know, from, from that standpoint of you know, really, what do I focus on? And, you know, from, from, from Toscano's standpoint, you know, like you guys say, like, you've got these things that you're really good at, but you know, what, if you had to say like, you know, listen, like I, 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 I don't want to send you down a rabbit hole. I want you to be good at something that you're good at. How, how would you kind of, in your opinion, thrive, you know, in the professional liability, you know, kind of marketplace, uh, what's the right mix? How do you, how do you make it profitable? What are some of the, the key things that, you know, you've kind of discovered over, like you said, your, your, your kind of career um, to not have them chasing their tail and, and just kind of dabbling. In, in You're the- talking about as far as the, the retail agent and what they're dealing with? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of, you know, the people that we talk to that we interact with on a daily basis are the, you know, boots on the ground, independent agent, right? Sure. You know, they're, they're working at the family agency, the legacy agency, you know, scratch agency, and they're just overwhelmed with what do I do? Who do I talk to? Um, is this a good opportunity? Is this not a good opportunity? What do I need to do to make this thing successful? How much, how much kind of traction do I need to acquire? Uh, all of those things. And it's, it's helping them sort through that, that, um, you know, I, I think is, is pretty important. And, and, and that I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people that, that don't play on the retail side that aren't, you know, and that they, 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 they kind of push their own agenda and it's like, well, listen, like, how do you, how do you, how do you take that? How do you take what you guys are really good at and really just say, listen, if I was going to, if I was in your position right now, this is what I would do to be successful within your agency. Okay. I, so I'll, I'll start with cyber. And if you want, we can expand it to other, I think the principle applies in other lines, sure. maybe even more yeah. easily, but I, I, most businesses have a cyber liability exposure, whether they want to yeah. recognize it or not, or whether they think it's significant or not. And it's just not the notification costs. I think most people that have heard the term cyber or data breach understand that notification costs could be expensive. Um, there's a study that's done, sponsored by IBM, done by a group called Ponemon Institute. They put it out every year and they list all kinds of metrics and one of those is the average cost of notification. I think it's inflated because I think they're dealing with Fortune 500 companies as well as small businesses, but their number is you know somewhere north of 150 bucks per record. Um, I think it can be done for less than that. But if you do some simple math and let's say it's half that number and it's you know it's 100 bucks or 75 bucks a record, um, you have issues thinking about a small business trying to deal with that. And if they do business across state lines, unfortunately, states are not uniform in how they apply what needs to happen and what the requirements are and how to fulfill them. So most people end up talking to an attorney who specializes in this. And that, of course, is not inexpensive either. So I would start with my existing list of customers and determine if you know somebody's writing this with a captive uh, market if there's a cyber policy available, or even if there's a cyber endorsement that gives them a sublimit, I mean, it's better than nothing, but I would look at the existing book of business and see who has the coverage and who doesn't and, and maybe start there. And I, two other things, since we're, we're kind of on the cyber discussion, there are a couple of things that sort of surprise me about small businesses. And one of the things that, again, as a retail agent, I would emphasize most small businesses do not have risk managers in their operation. The yeah. risk manager is the owner who's the chief cook and bottle washer, and they're doing everything. So they need help in a lot of different areas. Most of the companies nowadays that are writing cyber have a cyber coach line or a cyber helpline that the insured can call and say, okay, I got a ransomware email that says if I don't pay $10,000, they've locked up my computer and I need my data back. What do I do? There's all kinds of help about how to protect the network or the, the PCs involved and the handheld devices and all of those things. So that's one piece. Most policies also include coverage for uh, not just notification, but also for forensic services. It's no good to pay a ransom or to fix something you know, several thousand dollars later by bringing a computer expert in and not knowing how the breach happened. So... A lot of carriers will pay for the forensic services that are required to determine how the breach happened to begin with to prevent it from happening again. And on top of that, 
there are coverage uh, limits available and coverage available for public relations services. Because the last thing you want to have happen is this gets public and it always does. And now your customers or your, your potential customers are scared about giving you their personal information, personally identifiable information, because you can't protect it properly. So there's all this help that can be available to somebody from a PR standpoint to repair and restore their reputation in the community or in the state or regionally or whatever it might be. And that may not sound important, but it really is because, you know, trust, confidence, the name of the business is really what they're trading on because, you know, selling hamburgers is is not the issue. It's I'm, I'm buying Bob's hamburgers and or I'm going to Sally's dress shop. Uh, well, I'm not going there anymore because they just lost 5,000, you know, of their customers' records. Those are all things that can be offered. EPL has some similar things, which we can talk about, but there are lots of pieces that carriers offer as value-added services that don't really cost any more. It doesn't really change their premium, and I would think could be a huge help in selling that to a small business and a, a huge help to a small business should they have an event. You know, talking about starting the existing book, one of the other things that, and, and you'd said it, you know, some of the small businesses or most of the small businesses don't have risk managers. And another thing, you know, that that's like kind of a frustration point, I think with agents is understanding kind of the different levels in which they should play as far sure. as what type of business to go after, you yep. know, and, and, and it feels like a risk manager position is probably a benchmark at some point. It's like, you're going to cross that street or should you, or should you not? And, um, I, this is, I think we're going to kind of, I, I kind of want to dive into this in a, in a couple different stages, but first I kind of want to know, like, what would your sweet spot be if you're kind of going after that, you know, that, you know, if you had your pick, like if I had to do, if I had to write this type of business all day, every day, it's going to be a nice premium. It's going to be, you know, kind of relatively easy to, not easy to get into, but you know I mean? Like it's, it's, it's the most approachable, like, where would you, you know, where would you kind of draw that circle around? Um, you, you certainly are going to have a hard time. Uh, selling, for example, cyber data breach coverage or even EPL coverage to somebody who is, you know, a five employee firm. I mean, they're just probably not going to see it. There are a few very savvy business people with very large businesses and revenue that have a small number of employees and maybe they will. So you're probably looking at entities that are maybe 10, 12, 15 employees and up. Certainly on the EPL side, the bigger the firm, the more issues you've got potentially, um, and the more problems you could have. Um, so I, you know, that's kind of up to the, I, you know, I would say the broker probably knows a little bit better what their, um, what their customers capabilities are to withstand. I mean, you, you know, the larger, the, the larger, the policy account, uh, the, the, the more revenue, the easier it might be to justify the coverages, um, so I think, and I think that's going to change. I know I'm being pretty generic here. That's going to change with industry groups as well. Um, you could have a really large construction firm and you won't be able to sell them any of this stuff. Uh, okay. you could have an auto dealership and they'd probably beg you for EPL coverage with third party because that's hard to come by. So, you know, maybe it's identifying entities that have a little bit of a struggle getting the coverage, even if they wanted it. And we can identify some of those classes and categories, but but clearly somebody who's paying, you know, ten thousand dollars for their entire portfolio of commercial insurance, 
I'm guessing that's going to be a tough sell to, to try and add another policy or two on top of that. Uh, so maybe that's a mid-sized business. I'm not really sure how to quantify that. Yeah. Well, um, from a premium standpoint, let's, let's maybe talk in that, okay. that realm, like where, you know, what, from, from just like the, the, the whole challenge of, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're approaching your, you know, existing clients, the cost of, you know, you know, adding that policy is, is obviously a lot less versus, you know, kind of going out trying to acquire new, um, you know, new business under that. But, you know, it, it seems like starting with your existing book might give you, you know, if this is something new that you haven't, it's going to give you a little practice. It's going to maybe be a safety net. You're working with familiar people. Right. Um, but, but if let's say you're getting good and you kind of feel, you know, you feel like there's an opportunity, um, <clears throat> where, where's, where's like premium thresholds, you know, what, 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 you know, as far as like an overall total premium on a, on a cyber you know, policy or, or an EPL or what, you know, whatever it is, like what, what, you know, like I said, if, if you had to say like, I could do this all day long, you know, what, what, what would that look like? Okay. So, yeah. So the, the minimum premium levels, you're, you're probably start if, you, if an agent is worried about selling this and you know, it's going to cost X and I don't want to do that. Yeah. You're probably looking at, you know, 700 bucks or so as a minimum on most of the levels. There's some companies that will write uh, maybe at a $500, $600 premium threshold. So somewhere in there is probably what you're talking about. And then it, it just goes up based on the size of the firm and the exposure that's available. One of the things that's helpful with this coverage is with cyber, typically, if you know the industry group, you know whether they've had coverage or not or losses. And most of the time, the answer is no you know how many records are involved. And again, usually that's number of customers and that can't just be number of customers currently. So let's just take an insurance agency, for example, and they've got 5,000 insureds. Well, that's not their history because they've got insureds that they've lost and they've got records and information that they've, you know, obtained from those accounts. So maybe if you look at their history Maybe instead of having 5,000 insureds, maybe they've got records for 10 or 15,000. Once you know the industry group, the number of records, the limit that's required, usually that's enough information to get a premium indication. And with EPL, it's pretty much the same thing. Employment practices is usually industry group, prior you know, hiring and firing or layoff history, how many employees full and part-time. And from that information, you can typically get a premium indication. So for the most part, if we're just talking about, hey, roughly how much is this going to be for a million limit or whatever, it's a pretty painless process. Um, you know. And I would say, again, I agree with you. If you're dealing with people that you know and people that you already write business with, I think it's a much easier conversation and, and somebody can cut their teeth on it and then start getting comfortable with what's going on. You're probably not going to lead with either of these unless you're talking about a pretty good size firm. It's not like comp where everybody's either going to have it or has to have it or whatever. Um, unless you're looking at a pretty good size enterprise, this is going to typically be something you're going to you're going to include with the other coverages. It's tough to lead with either one of these. There are other professional liability classes that I would say that's not the case, but but in most cases it would be with EPL and cyber. All right. First, I got to ask, which ones would you lead with the other professional liability classes? Well, I think I think an underserved area, um, for whatever reason, involves two areas. One is real estate, and another is the architects, engineers, surveying, and these guys are all guys and gals are all over the place. Uh, people are, you know, independent surveying companies, small architects and engineers firms. 
Um, they're all pretty straightforward for the most part. Once you start dealing with certain things, if they're doing road work or, or uh, structural engineering or things, that that's, launches into a different category. But the majority of the people that you can run up and down the street and talk to on the phone, um, they're usually small to mid-sized firms. It's pretty straightforward. And once you write a few, it's pretty easy to understand what the, what the exposures are. Uh, real estate would be one of those categories that's experienced, you know, years ago when 2008-ish, when the real estate market kind of fell apart in certain parts of the country, everybody and their brother was losing money. And the result was the plaintiff firm went to work on a lot of real estate related operations and title agents was one that took a bath. Mortgage brokers and bankers also got hit pretty hard and it was very difficult for a number of years to find coverage for them. Uh, but considering the number of real estate uh, offices that are in any given community, title agencies, uh, brokers, mortgage brokers, anybody involved with the real estate industry is another area where I don't think a lot of retail agents are paying a lot of attention. And most of them are in an office. You know, they need coverage. You know, comp comes a little different with a real estate operation, but pretty much everybody else has employees. They have office equipment. They may own a building. They're leasing a building. There's other coverages available. So it it could package just like any other kind of business. Um, I, I think people look at those and think they're specialized or I'm not sure what, uh, but I would say those are areas that a lot of folks overlook. Um, and I, I don't know necessarily that I can tell you why that is. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we gotta, we gotta try to ignore somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one other area that we see, and again, this is not anything that's going to make anybody rich, but, um, we do see an increase or an uptick in the uh, number of folks that are working in the environmental industry. Uh, there are a lot more environmental consultants, um, whether that has to do with has, you know, removal of hazardous materials, lead and asbestos and those kinds of things, or whether it's people that are giving ener doing energy audits and consulting on um, like LEED qualified or LEED certified buildings, that's becoming more and more popular. So we're seeing a definite increase in interest and involvement on the environmental side. I mean, it's obviously a very uh, key topic in the, in the news. You know, it's a political issue as well. So more and more people are becoming aware of what those exposures are, uh, including a lot of contractors who are going in and doing demo and tearing things out and exposing whether it's asbestos or insulation or, um, you know, some latent mold that's in a building that they're demoing or, or remodeling. So there's a whole contractor's ex uh, pollution exposure out there as well. And that's just one more area that uh, is, is starting to, to show a bit of an uptick. Let's just say we, we we kind of ride it out, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of role play the uh, the real estate, maybe the architect space. Um, if you if you kind of had to go in guns blazing and be like, here's here's what I'm coming to bat with, uh, what would what would kind of your initial offering be like? Here's like the three things that I think like what what would your package look like? You know, cyber, EP, you know, like what is that? You know, what how how as as far as just like we said that kind of retail agent, like what, what's something that, you know, they should go in with to, to get enough business to kind of, you know, uh, make sure they've got a firm hold on the account, but not be too greedy and try to do too many things at once. Is there, is there, is there a nice mix that you would generally kind of put together? I, I would, honestly, I would not treat it any differently than if you're going to go, uh, present to a contractor, for example, and just about everybody's involved somewhere in the mm -hmm. contracting space, either out of yeah. desire or necessity, I don't know yeah. that I would treat it any differently. Uh, there's a good chance that that entity has 
you know, owned equipment or vehicles. Like I said, it's a building, there's liability exposure, there's probably comp exposure there. Um, I'd hit it, you know, I'd, I'd attempt to do all the things you would do in another account if you can include on any of these accounts the conversation about, you know, cyber liability or the conversation about EPL or whatever it might be. I mean, if it's a, if it's an entity that's set up uh, with a board, I mean, I'd be talking to them about DNO as well. But, but the idea would be, those are some areas of, those are some professional areas that that might not have a lot of people knocking their doors down. Now, again, if it's an architecture firm and they've got eight engineers on staff, they're probably getting their door knocked on because you know they're probably pretty prominent in the community and. I think people would see that as a, a an account worth looking at from a premium standpoint, but um, I don't think. And again, I don't want to undersell this because this is one of the things we've been talking about. But I I don't think you're going to be able to necessarily lasso an account or lead with either EPL or cyber unless they've had an event or an incident and they're hypersensitive to it already. Um, I think they're going to look at you. The same way most accounts are going to be, you know, as in, why do I need that? Um, if you identify classes of business, we can certainly help. Uh, if you're looking at real estate or looking at architects, we can certainly help identify some of the coverages that are available uh, and making sure that there's some add-ons and some things that you can uh, you can make sure that their current coverage, you know, going let me let me just review your current policies. I think a lot of carrier or a lot of agencies use that approach. Let me see if I can find. Um, something that we can help you with, you know, looking for the pain, the wedge, whatever you want to call that, that sales yeah. process. Um, th- that's certainly capable or certainly possible to do on all of those classes of business. And again, a good carrier that writes this kind of business is probably going to have most of the bases covered. You never know. It's worth looking at. Maybe we uncover something and then it gets down to, can we increase limits? Can we improve on pricing? Can we give them something they don't have? Some of those carriers are indeed including uh, some additional coverages, whether that's a cyber piece. Uh, there's certainly some carriers that are well known for adding some cyber liability into any professional policy they write. Um, EPL, maybe not so much. That's still usually a standalone policy. Uh, and then when you get to those things, you're looking at you know what additional coverages are provided. We talked on the cyber side about forensic services and PR. If you're looking at EPL, they have to have third-party coverage. They have to have wage and hour coverage, and there has to be a helpline or hotline. If if those three things aren't present, in addition to the basic coverages, they're dealing with a really old and uh, outdated policy form, uh, and they can certainly improve their you know their services and their capabilities just by adding those pieces. And there are some similar things. There's OSHA coverage. There's some other coverages that are available. Um, Almost all of these professional liability policies include some kind of defense coverage or coverage if you're brought before a board, um, you know, the governing board for the state or for the region. You may have to hire an attorney to represent you if you're brought up on charges, you know, for um, violating some of the professional standards. Uh, There's usually coverage in there for that. There's usually coverage if they have to show up as a witness, an expert witness in in a case. There's a per diem and a total amount that's included. So there's there's some little things you can look for there, and then there's some larger pieces. Obviously, most of these policies are written on a claims made basis. So um, you're looking at what's the retro date on the policy, how far back is this coverage going. Uh, one of the things again that agents miss a lot of times is they're they're talking to somebody who is maybe late 50s, early 60s, and they don't ask the question, "How long do you want to be in business?" 
Um, because if they say, well, I'm going to, I'll be selling out in the next two years, then really what the retail agent can, can do to distinguish themselves is look for coverages for any of these policies we're talking about that have a more favorable extended reporting period option. Uh, some carriers will give it, um, you know, they'll give an extended reporting period for the, the period after they close shop, sell, whatever, if they've been with the carrier for X number of years and they're injured or incapacitated, or if they die, their estate gets that protection for no, no charge, or some companies will charge, you know, a hundred or 150 percent of the expiring premium for an unlimited tailor extended reporting period. Some companies want 300%. Some companies still give an unlimited, some companies it's only two or three years. So if you knew that the insured was potentially looking to get out of the business, I think it would change your approach everybody looks at ERP and just shrugs their, you know, their shoulders and say, oh yeah, we'll deal with that when it comes. But if it's around the corner, that would be another way that the agent could really do a great service to their insured and potentially save them some money uh, if they knew that was a, a plan of that business operation. You know, that's what, that's what fascinates me about, you know, kind of the commercial space is that there's so much kind of, this, you know, there's just so many different levels, so many little pockets and, and things that you can kind of exploit to kind of get in there, to, to create that wedge, to kind of get the hook. And and that's kind of the thing that I'm, I'm always fascinated with. And you brought up DNO and you're talking about extended, you know, reporting periods and things like that of, you know, even just that being a hook of, well, listen, I, I'm just going to target people that are looking to get out of their business. And, and, you know, if they're, if they're asking these questions, how can I kind of uh, position myself to be in front of them, you know, when they are, um, but my favorite example is from, you know, one of my buddies, Terry Greer down in Austin, Texas, uh, you know, he focuses on technology companies and he was noticing, you know, he was going after a bunch of tech companies and, and, but, you know, it's, it's when he brought in the DNO that took it from, you know, 10,000, you know, an average policy or whatever it was. And, and, and he, I can't remember the exact example, but eventually he got enough, he got enough business with that, you know, tech company to where it was like a 50 or $60,000 premium. Right. And, and it's looking for those little weaknesses, right? Those little triggers that, that escalate it to, to make it a nice size account. And that's what I'm always fascinated with as far as if, you know, if, if you have found anybody you know, that is, is being successful with any, any, any one of those things. Um, you know, tech is not a bad, uh, not a bad piece. I mean, I, you know, the easy answer is, you know, hook your, hook your wagon to uh, newer folks in business who are obviously sharp have a great business plan and you know, we're going to have a great chance of succeeding. And as they grow, your account grows. I mean, we've seen that happen many, many times. I I don't have the magic bullet on how to identify that other than I do know agents who focus on uh, startup businesses and they have their own sort of checklist as to they really get into the conversation if the insured, you know, the prospect will let them of what's the business plan, how you're going to grow this, how are you different than anybody else, and they get a comfort level with that and uh, and kind of launch. So uh, I don't know. I mean, short of maybe watching Shark Tank and calling up the guys who win a <laughs> who win a bid and say, hey, can I write your insurance for you? Um, I, I I think there are certainly ways to do that. I think tech is probably not a bad option. Uh, The only problem is, uh, you know, as many tech companies start up, you know, probably fail as they, as they do succeed. So still have to be somewhat selective with that, but um, yeah, getting, getting tied into a really good business or, or somebody who's got a solid business plan, you know, would be huge if you can figure that out. 
Yeah, and you know, we really haven't talked tons about this, but you know, how does you know what what is Toscano's role in all this? Like, what do you guys love to do? Help? Like, how do you how do you kind of solve some of these problems? Well, I mean, that's a great question. Um, we certainly, you know, we're like everybody else. We are we're looking to write business and to be a help to our customers. And and at times it gets pretty busy, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to handle all of the pieces that you have to deal with for that day. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that I can help with. Uh, we also have added uh, another person on our team who's an assistant manager named Michelle Morton, who came out of our property package team as an underwriter. So between Ryan, uh, Stabil, Michelle and I, and then a couple of other folks in the uh, agency who've had a lot of experience, that's kind of maybe the value that I can bring to the equation. If our underwriters don't have the time or maybe they're not sure what the next move is, uh, I enjoy talking to customers and giving them some ideas or trying to, you know, try to help them to figure out what's the approach on this or or maybe even something as simple as, is this worth it? You know, they're currently with this company. They got these limits. They got these coverages. Do I even want to, you know, go in on this thing? And and sometimes the answer is, no, you don't. Not, not on that coverage. Maybe there's something else we can look at. Um, but we're you know, we're independently owned. We understand the concept of being a small, especially an independent retail agent. Um, we resonate with that. Those are, those are the folks that have helped us get to where we are. And, and our goal is to, is to indeed provide solutions and try and figure out ways to do this. And we're small enough that we can still be reached by phone and we can pick up the phone and talk about it or provide some additional information from time to time. We'll do webinars and we'll have, uh, in-office seminars talking about coverage. Not everybody can get in here, so we'll try and do it on a broader basis on a webinar. Um, if an agency has a question or or has a niche they want to go after, or you know is looking for, you know, is this is this worth it? Does this make sense? We're more than happy to yeah. talk with them and try and give them some guidance. And like I said, I mean, it's just it's one of the I see it over and over again. You know, a agents, you know, that, that have a lot of different ideas, a lot of different ideas are being pushed on them and then just kind of sorting through that. Sure. And then they just uh, taking the time to run the numbers of saying, listen, if I were to, you know, again, back to the tech company example, it's like, Hey, do I have enough of these opportunities right. within my reach? Uh, you know, what's the time to get them? You know, how am I going to acquire all of that fun stuff? And, and that's where, you know, any uh, people that are able to kind of help participate in that process, I think, uh, we're severely lacking uh, to kind of, like you said, look at it with a level head of, you know, because we just kind of have this mentality of like, well, let's just eat up as much as we can kind of get our hands right. on it, and then we'll, we'll see if we're successful after. We have the same issue. I mean, we deal with a lot of markets. Uh, some are binding, some are brokerage. We have authority. We don't have authority. And we're trying to figure out the best way to keep it straight. Our folks get told a lot of things by a lot of companies. Everybody wants their piece of the pie. And yeah. You know, so it's, it's tough. And, and I understand retail agents have this. So we, we understand that we appreciate that. And we're, we're certainly interested in trying to make that a little less of a, of an onerous task for the, for the customers that we work with. Um, yeah. I mean, if you had to kind of put your, your kind of hat on just like thinking about things moving forward, like what's, you know, if they could, you know, if agents could do one thing today to kind of position themselves to, to either make some of those better choices or just kind of get a handle on, on some, some of that, anything that we've kind of discussed, like what's like one thing that you're kind of hot on right now to, to kind of help 
move in that direction. Are we talking about coverage? Uh, I mean, just in general, right? Of just like of how to approach their book of business, how to approach the clients that they're they're looking for. Like, what's the one thing that that you know, if they're struggling, saying, "Listen, I'm not quite sure which direction I want to go." Uh, it feels like a like an impossible, possibly daunting task to to kind of make you know just any just you know just analysis by paralysis sort of thing. Okay, I, I I don't know if this answers your question, but I'll tell you what I've seen and what I I believe to be true here uh, in our operation. I would I would encourage retail agents to take their own interests, um, their personality, who they are, what they enjoy, and focus in on something that ties in with that, that resonates with that. Um, if you're not, you know, really a car buff and you don't really like the concept of vehicles and you're not paying attention to the newest models, car dealerships probably wouldn't, or, or repair facilities might not be your best option. On the, yeah. on the other hand, if that's your thing and you, you've got markets that can write that business, some of the most successful people we deal with found something that they either became fascinated by or just loved in, in their own personal preferences and turned that, I mean, I got, you know, the classic example is the guy who became an expert doing, you know, writing country clubs. I mean, he's a golfer. So he's like, I spent all my time here. Why don't I try and make some money out of it? And, and turned it into a, a really great book of business and it expanded and, you know, met other people and, and spun off from that. So that'd be one thing is I, I would really encourage people to do something that they feel like they know something about or want to learn something about. And they're excited about it and they're passionate about it because as you know, insureds and people that are buying and, and looking at where they want to go, they can tell the difference most of the time when you're faking it or when you're sincerely interested in what's going on. And I see a lot of people make the mistake of younger brokers, especially of I'm going where the money is and they identify whatever that is. And it, yeah. whether it's there or not, they're miserable because, you know, it's, it's not really what they're, what they're focused on. If we're talking about the coverage issues, I think a lot of that has to do with where the insured, where the prospect currently is and what, if any weakness that they have, I'd certainly try and, you know, go down that trail, identify that and, and, you know, try and solve the ease, the pain or, or fix the pain point. I, I'm a big believer in that. Um, and then finally, if we're, again, if we're talking specifically coverage, I would certainly say if you don't know, cyber liability at this point, I'd learn it because it, it's going to, it, it's just, it can't do anything other than get bigger and be more uh, in the forefront. Insureds will be more aware of it. I, I think that's an area where brokers are going to have to, if they're not already involved, they're going to have to get involved because uh, it's just going to be a much bigger issue as time goes on. I think you hit it. I mean, that was, yeah, absolutely. It's that sweet spot of, you know, can it make you money? Are you interested in selling it? And, you know, is it just something you enjoy doing? Um, the other thing, and this, and this will be my last question is what would you say to somebody that's, you know, it's like, they're just afraid they, they have a hard time believing that, you know, I could just do country clubs or, you know, car dealerships or auto, you know, body shops, whatever the thing is. Um, how do you, what would you say to them to kind of ease that fear 
And what's like one practical step to, you know, obviously not having that be your entire book of business or focus today, but, you know, taking the, the right first step to, to make it be a real, reality, you know, down the road. Yeah. And that's the $64 million question, I suppose. Uh, first of all, and you alluded to it, it it's not going to happen. It, more than likely, it's not going to happen immediately. Um, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, people that have gone to college or been involved in a sports team or an athletic endeavor or whatever it might be where there's a community, um, you know, obviously network and, and stay in touch with those people because they're going to be business owners and, and potential customers down the road. And that might be your other avenue. It, maybe it's not what you love today, but you really have a great relationship with the person. Maybe it's something you learn. But to your question, um, it's not going to happen immediately for most people. Uh, you have to develop it. Uh, I would simply say I've seen it happen over and over again where people get into a specific niche. Frequently, they fall into it. Um, you know, most people, when you ask, how'd you get in the insurance industry? It's not usually yeah. well, I grew up, you know, as an eight-year-old, I've, I wanted I've to be. I've never heard that story. Yeah, it's, I've never it's, not, it's not easy to find those folks. There are more and more. It's happening, yeah. though. Uh, as generations change, I think that's happening more where people are focusing on it in college and, and wanting to make it a career. Yeah. But sure. it, it's probably not going to happen right out of the chute. So fine, dabble in a bunch of different areas and industries and find the one that you like. And when you do, or, or more than one, learn as much as you can about it. Spend time with people who own or run those kind of businesses. Be a benefit to them, even if you don't write their coverage. Help them research, look at their policies, look at their business operations. Go to the conferences, the meetings locally, whatever Learn everything you possibly can about it, and most of the time, people will notice. And regardless if Fred's been there for 27 years, uh, he's probably coasting. So if you're really focused and really excited about it, there's a there's a really great chance you're going to have an opportunity with somebody, and that's all it takes is one. You win them over. A word of mouth is still probably the single best you know form of advertising in terms of getting qualified, great leads. So. I think that's the the patience is the tough part because most people want it right now and it's just going to take some time to build um, and and it certainly can be done. I, there are not a lot of folks that have one class of businesses their entire book. It's usually a combination of things, but typically it's led by or it's anchored by one or two you know areas of specialty. And I'd say the sooner you find that and, and spend time learning it and putting the energy into it, more than likely, the, the, the sooner you're going to get a payoff there. And if anybody has like questions, like they, like they want to kind of get you know deeper insights from you on any of this, can they just shoot you an email at tim at toscano.com? Correct. Is that a good place for them to get, get at you? Yep. Okay. Tim, man, this has been spectacular. Um I think I don't think we could have could have covered it any better to be honest with you. Well, I appreciate the time.